Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Crossing Silos, promoting critical thinking with epistemic insight. The podcast that explores how we shatter subject silos and construct an education that is truly multidisciplinary. My name is Robert Campbell, and I will be your host throughout the podcast series. Through these podcasts, my guests and I will discuss the value of moving beyond a compartmentalised approach to education. In each episode, special guests will showcase how they engage with the Epistemic Insight project, how Epistemic Insight frames their view of education, and how they use Epistemic Insight to influence their teaching of their chosen subject. So sit back, relax, and enjoy some thought-provoking discussion. Welcome, dear listeners, to the next episode of our podcast series, Exploring All Things Epistemically Insightful. This afternoon, we are joined by uh, my colleague, Lisa Panford, who is Senior Lecturer in MFL, and by Jackie Small, who is one of our researchers on the EI project. It is such a privilege to have you both here with us. Um, We're discussing all things equality diversity and inclusion orientated. Uh, So Lisa, perhaps you could start us off with your journey on uh, EDI and where that's taken you as a linguist and as an educator. Thanks so much. Thanks, Rob. It's um, great to be included in this discussion. Um, I'm really interested to see where, where these conversations lead. As you know, Rob, I was relatively slow to the EI table um, and it was, I think, only in anticipation of that conference hosted by St Mary's in the summer um, that I felt compelled to do some research (laughs) so as to not expose my ignorance about EI. Um, I did have truly a little bit of a light bulb moment um, when I made the connection that was clear to you, I think, but the connection in my mind at least between this framework um, and what it could offer my subject uh, in terms of advancements in social justice. Uh, That's in my subject, which is modern foreign languages, but also more broadly at a programme level through equality, diversity and inclusion. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, so I, I suppose it's it might be helpful to sort of recount the fact that there are lots of competing and shifting discourses in the context of my subject area, right? And that's related to the ideological concepts um, surrounding what constitutes high quality languages teaching. And Jack and I spoke about this a little offline. I know that you are an experienced languages teacher also. Um, Our subject is under uh, lots of, um, yeah, is a site of tension at the moment, um, which has been intensified by the fact that there's the forthcoming introduction of a new GCSE. Um, And I think in response to this, in previous years, when I'm planning my PGCE secondary course, 
my approach um, has been to launch my course um, with a session which I called Why Study Languages? An attempt to kind of affirm our place and value in the curriculum, right? This is logical. And this session was um, a popular session, I think, got good feedback. It would often generate a plethora of different justifications for why we study languages, why languages are important. Um, but on reflection, thanks to you, Rob, um, and your epistemic insight framing, um, it was your question, what makes, you know, insert whatever subject, distinctive? That gave me real pause for thought about how I was launching my own programme with a why and a justification, which is kind of a bit defensive, right? Um, and I thought that launching my languages programme with a what is MFL would actually generate more meaningful reflections um, around why we should study languages. Um, it meant in that session that we were able to reflect on areas that we have in common with other subjects, which is, of course, really important that we have um, that cognitive empathy um, with uh, pupils' experiences across the curriculum and also our colleagues who are, sub, you know, specialists in other subjects. But most interestingly for me, and particularly related to my interest in social justice, um, it was very helpful, this what is languages question, what makes languages uh, distinctive. It really um, illuminated some really interesting reflections um, around what we mean by languages and the unpacking of this term modern foreign languages, right? So as you'll know, in this context, um, in, in most secondary schools, we teach a combination of French, Spanish and, and German in a few schools, uh, Italian also. And you're able through this route to qualify as a teacher of French, German and Spanish in spite of all of the other languages that we, um, that our trainees often have. And this session, what is, what is languages? What is MFL? What is the distinctiveness of our subject? Um, it, it not only highlighted and helped us to appreciate some of the really um, unique features of our subject, but it also helped us to be critical about our subject. So for example, um, how to think about this term MFL historically, you know, how the term actually retains a kind of power and agency. It perpetuates this um, notion that Western European languages are centered and a sort of artificial dichotomization between these Western languages, so French, Spanish, and German, and the other languages, the community languages or the heritage languages. Um, so it perpetuates this sort of artificial dichotomization, which is not very helpful. Um, it helped us to discuss, Rob, why certain languages have, have come to be centered and the underlying power dynamics. And that for me was um, such a rich and enriching discussion to have with trainees. And I am just grateful for that insight, that question that you posed 
what is the distinct, you know, what is the, what makes our subject distinctive because of the way it opens up a really reflective and critical inspection of the power that under underlies our subject in the curriculum. So thanks for that, Will. I mean, you're empowering me here as well. So thanks very much. I feel very uh, a warm, glowing love. Yes. Um, but what really, really struck me was your awareness that you are restricting languages to ones that are Western centered, so, so European linguistics of, of French, of Spanish, and to a certain extent, you, you said German and, and Italian as well. So, Jackie, I turn to you with your experience. So, you've just finished your EdD journey uh, where you were working sort in, of, in the sort Middle of. East. <laughs> Perhaps you could talk us, tell us more about that. Well, having have the, the just finished is only just submitted. So, um, I see this as the first stage of the uh, process, um, but the, the massive stage. But uh, in terms of um, uh, listening to what Lisa said, which is really interesting and really um, awe-inspiring, um, there are so many things that have sort of flitted through my brain and, and, and um, so many points of contact for me. And for me... That is one of the essences that I've picked up as the baby in the in the journey with EI. That there are different ways of seeing things in approaching a, a, a phenomena, a, a subject, uh, an experience. And as as as, as Lisa was talking, um, one of the the things I remember that is quite. Part of, that is part of my, my growing up experience is the, um, the way in which I felt I was part of different worlds. I was part of one world that taught me to see things in a particular way. And there were things to support that world. There was the music, there was the media, there was a television, obviously, part of the media. When I stepped outside the door, there was, you know, the, the transport. Um, everything I saw, the people I saw, supported that life, supported that way of thinking, supported that approach. I walked in through the school doors. I had a, a curriculum that supported that approach. I had teachers that supported that approach. I had a way in which to engage with the curriculum that supported that approach. The way in which I had to learn supported that approach. The books I read supported that approach. The questions I asked or were supposed to ask supported that approach. I, one, one, um, one thing to, to, to emphasize this was, uh, I remember doing AS English and, um, English, English was uh, one of those subjects that I loved and hated at the same time for the same reasons in the way in which it was, it was approached. Uh, I, I tend to be very creative. So you give me something that I can create and explore. I'm loving you. I love you, the teacher that does that. Some, then I had another teacher who sat behind a desk and told us to turn to page 23 of Jane Eyre. And uh, so we turned to, to 
and read that. And of course, I couldn't engage with that. All I could engage with, by the way, was the paper, which sounded like tissue paper because it was very thin paper. And so every time she she turned, she she said, turn to page 23, we would go, shh. And she would go, who did that? And, we'd say, and so that was my excitement of the English lesson. So, so there we have two different approaches. I got to AS English, and I remember this very clearly. There was a question where the teacher said, um, why do you think people had names uh, for their houses and not numbers? And people were piping up with all sorts of things. And I was like, yeah, because, you know, numbers are whatever I said. Um, but what the teacher wanted you to say was it was about being special. That person wanted to be name their house as being special. That wasn't part of my experience, so I couldn't answer that. And so I remember these people talking about, oh, yes, you know, that you, you name your house Rose Cottage because you don't want to be with the lower people. And instead, all the lower people have numbers. That wasn't part of my experience, so I never understood the question. Years later, that came back to me and I thought, yeah, I'm living these different worlds where outside in the world, I'm not special. I have a different experience. But inside my home, I have a different experience where we listen to different music, we engage with different people, we eat different food, um, we, we speak and laugh at different jokes. We, and so if I were to go into that context and say to them, um, as we used to do for a laugh, me and my friends, in I might, and which is something I wanted, I, I wanted to come back to as well. We would say, say, uh, what did you have for dinner yesterday? A rice and peas. Oh, rice and peas. And then my friend would go, we had rice and peas. I said, and then we go look at each other. Oh, did you? What <laughs> rice and peas did you have? Green peas with ripe rice. And we snigger, you know, because... That wasn't part of their experience. Our experience was peas. It's not peas, it's beans. You talk about kidney beans and, and, and red beans. But they wouldn't know any of that. But I wouldn't share that with them because what you'd also get is, ugh, you eat that, ugh, what's that? So you had a different experience where you kept what you learnt in your own um, environment where people appreciated it. But you, as soon as you walked out the door, you had to become part of the wider experience, the dominant experience, if you were to survive. If you didn't learn that, then you would not survive. When I come to EI, for me, it is about asking, teaching people the skills, the questions to ask, engaging with the questions they already have and you are learning from each other in a safe environment where it's not uh or oh that's strange but mm, that's interesting what can I learn from that and so so having gone through said this now moving into my adult experience what I suddenly realized was when I went to somewhere like the UAE is that Unfortunately, I'm a product of my experience. So everything that I've learnt has been Eurocentric, has been 
through the books, through the curriculum, through the TV programs, through the music, you name it, put it down there. And so when I go into a new context, I'm taking that with me. So I'm doing exactly what those people have done to me in a different context. And instead of using an EI perspective of saying, oh, what can I learn from this? I take on a Eurocentric perspective, which goes, that's different, that's wrong, ooh. And I did that in this context. So this is why, why for me, EI is about taking on the different aspects of culture, of learning experience and going, oh, what can I add? What can I learn? What questions am I asking about this? Um, and where are they based? And, and, and what am I putting that onto in a different context? So that's, that was that for me. Oh, amazing. Thank you so much. So what I'm hearing there, Jackie, is that there is an identity that you have mm. and a heritage that you hold, mm. but actually there are spaces in which you are choosing to showcase that heritage and there are separate spaces in which you are choosing to conform um, to a heritage that perhaps wasn't your familial heritage, that was a distinctive space. Um, so Lisa, I'm just wondering if that story resonates with you and you've also done work in terms of decolonizing the curriculum and whether that's been a a trigger with your efforts to try and decolonize the curriculum? Sure. I mean, um, the story you told was really evocative, really resonated deeply there. Um, I was reading, um, I don't know if you've come across Jeffrey Barchi's, um, I, I heard what you said, uh, really recently published, where he talks to that um that experience, that lived experience that I, resonates with me personally uh, of uh, the, the realisation that you have been perpetuating inequities, perpetuating uh, oppression of other people who look like you through your teaching practices and that painful awakening of that conscientiousness um conscience asal, I don't know, for hours, yeah. Um and yes, that's an excruciate that's a really painful process. I think when we talk about um decolonizing the curriculum, something I feel um is passion I feel passionately is needed, uh we're talking about yeah, we're talking about epistemic justice. We're talking about and and how do you achieve that? It's by um, taking off a lens and swapping it with another lens, right? It's about centering voices, um, knowledges, narratives that have been um, historically and systematically marginalised. Um, and that's what I find so hopeful. I think people find the term decolonising um, terrifying, but that's what I think is really hopeful. There is something I think we can lean into with a bit of integrity about that is un it is uncomfortable. It's an uncomfortable process. Um, but uh, you and I, with our lived experiences, have spoken a little to the fact that it was uncomfortable for us. And that's me speaking as a black woman, m um, me leaning into how I have 
practiced white supremacy, all the benefits that I've had from my unearned privileges, you know, my perceived proximity to my light skin, my mother's white, so on. Um, this is all really painful and difficult to unpack. But if we have any hope of this sort of joyful education, you know, language is education, it's supposed to be a liberation from insularity. That, that happens through broadening, through multiple lenses, doesn't it? it has to ha that has to be key here. Um, so thank you for sharing. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think, I think um, it's the EI for me was, um, it was it's interesting because I, I was saying to Rob, well, what's the difference with EI and integrated studies? And into, you know, in terms of different subjects, every subject would claim it has um, a, a purpose. And a, but so why is EI different? Um, and and then when I when I looked at it, I was thinking actually it's about it's asking different questions. It's not about the subject's um, uniqueness. In, 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 for me, it's not just about a uniqueness. It's about a way in which you can approach a, a, a question, a, approach things. Right. And you can use different ways to approach things through the, the way in which the subject is, is geared. And I, I, I read, I was looking at um, Berry, I can't remember her name, this... this um, TED talk that she did, and I thought it's really quite interesting. She used um, the Titanic, mm -hmm. and and I thought it's also interesting that you that we see looking at the Titanic from an um, a science was it the the technical way of the the, the Titanic was built or was it through the history? Um, and I thought, yeah, for EI, however, you can also bring in the artistic element because it's not mentioned there the ter the um thomas hardy poem convergence of the twain where he talks about the arrogance of man where you have the arrogance of man who puts all his hope in the technology in the science behind the machine and then you get nature coming along, which at an appropriate time, stirred by the hand of God, they meet the same day, the same time, the same moment they meet, but one supersedes over the other. Nature supersedes. Now, how do you, you can't, how do you can explain that through science, but then somebody from a religious experience would say, no, this is the hand of God telling people that at the end of the day, regardless of your knowledge and your, your experience, nature has the superior hand. And I thought that was a lovely way you could put the two together. And this is another thing where EI would bring things to, bring, bring the whole thing. So what, so what about that? Where does the RE come into that? It comes into that. Sure. So, yeah. So okay, so I wonder what you think about... Um, so I, in an effort to put that um, idea or that approach mm -hmm. to the test, I've, I'm trialling 
um, using an AI model, so using the disciplinary wheel to explore representation yeah. or um, EDI in our curricula in yeah. different subjects. Mm -hmm. So um, this is the plan, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> until yeah. until you know, please point out gaps. So the idea here is here. I mean, this is to complement provision that we already have. Um, and it just seemed to me to be like a logical extension um, uh, to provide trainees with this, like an opportunity to explore one EDI issue or question collectively, but then through their individual subject lenses. So for example, um, I would posit this question, how can our schemes of work support a safe and stimulating learning experiences with pupils with, and then you can insert a protected characteristic, for example, so a racialized identity or a visible disability or an invisible disability. And they look at that big question through their multiple subject lenses, comparing and contrasting opportunities, omissions, opportunities in their curricula, um, emissions and so on and um, so it hasn't happened yet mm -hmm. but I'm really interested in hearing your thoughts and I, because I think it what it might my my best hope for this is that um, it will generate discussion and deeper exploration around EDI issues and um, that's um, obviously uh, deeply important but I also what I'm also hoping is that it will strengthen this kind of collective sense of responsibility for our and joined up right thought uh for for the positive impact on our pupils right and and so so for for me um firstly if i'm getting this right is how would you approach um um in terms of a multi um lens mm -hmm. approach to something in the curriculum right? yes and and I, I spoke to to um rob about this and i and i and i this is this is the issue if you look at something it's got to be through an integrated approach you, you've got to have um a thematic approach you can't have a subject approach because mm -hmm. otherwise you're going to go back to your subjects. If you, if you, if you just go, um, what's going to unite the subjects together? It's going to be a theme. Right. It's got to be a theme. And, and that, to me, has got to be a theme which, which integrates the, um, maybe, maybe use it, that, that multiple lens. And it's the theme that makes them look at something together. It's right. The, it's the, it's the, it's not this. It's not the subject going. Are we so modern languages for me? For modern languages is about grammar, um, vocab, and um, uh, what's the other one? There's three, isn't it? But it's, it's it's just looking at those things. That's modern, but that's not. That's just what you bring to the table. But you bring it in terms of looking at a subject, at a, at a theme, mm -hmm. and so hence you had that um, the um, Titanic was the theme that brought the different disciplines together. Sure. So and, and so so from from that 
you look at a theme, say the Titanic, or you could use something like Windrush or something like that. And then you bring in where was the ship made, who funded it, where did the people come from, etc. And what are the... So I hosted for two and a half looking hours. At the different but Jackie, I think I shared with you the story that we had of an experience a couple of years ago where we took our pre-service teachers into a school. And the school was a school with a Christian ethos. And the lesson that we were observing was a science lesson. And uh, the lesson was on STIs and STDs. And the teacher was asking, okay, how do you ensure chlamydia is rampant at the moment? How do you ensure that you protect yourself against chlamydia. And one of the students put up their hand and said, celibacy. And the teacher dismissed it. And that clearly had negative connotations with that student. The teacher was clearly wanting to look for the answer of use condoms. That's what the teacher was wanting the child to say, the learning point that she was wanting that child to get to. But that child came from a context where they were taught the importance of celibacy. And they were taught that, because I know this because I spoke to the child afterwards, they were taught that from a religious context. They grew up in a faith background and they were taught the importance of celibacy before marriage. But the important thing for me was the justification that they had for that was not the Bible. That was not sufficient for their justification. They had to go to a scientific lens and say that if you are celibate, and if you choose a life partner who is also celibate, that was going to remove, and I deliberately use that word, and I'll come to that in a minute, remove the chance of you getting chlamydia. By the way, that's not true. That is false. That is a misconception. So there's lots of things to unpick there. So firstly, that teacher has missed an opportunity to critique that child's understanding of science, because it is not true to say that celibacy will remove your risk of getting chlamydia. It's true to say it will reduce it considerably, but it will not remove it altogether. So they have a fundamental misunderstanding of what we I might have that too then, Rob. But, <laughs> but equally, what was really important for me was that the autonomy and the power of the Bible in that person's context where they were openly adamant that they came from a faith context was not powerful enough to justify why they should be celibate. And they had to impose another lens, be it science, into that scenario to justify their choice for celibacy. So I wonder if we can actually apply that to EDIs. And I recognise, and Lisa, we were talking about this before we came online, I recognise that as the identity that I have, I have white privilege. And I've come through a journey of beginning to come to a stage where I need to own that. And we were talking about some scenarios where I, as a, a male white man, look upon the, what the amazing things that the English women's football team did over the summer and see that as really inspirational, but actually being challenged to see why somebody who was a black woman might struggle to identify with that success. And actually, I don't have her story. So am I just imposing my story on her? And actually, does EI give us a platform to kind of challenge what's resident in society at the moment about white privilege, for example, and actually begin 
to empower people to reflexively consider the positionality that their discipline has and how that lens is limited, whatever lens that may be, and how beginning to incorporate other lenses into the conversation can give us a fuller, sharper understanding. Well, here's hoping. I think what we're talking about here, um, you know, and I, um, I, I welcome your sharing. Like, thank you for that. I think um, we would all do well to um, recognize our own the privileges that we carry. They may may not be um, uh, in terms of race, but um, yeah. So we would all do well to engage in that process. I think. Uh, what we're talking about here is um, really complex systems, sometimes historic, often historic systems that are kind of um, labyrinthine, like absolutely complex interwoven systems of power mm-hmm. and privilege. Mm-hmm. And disentangling ourselves from that is a... is huge and it is a process and I'm not sure if um an epistemic insight approach you know I I take I have taken in recent years particularly a huge amount of taken a great deal of solace in the body of research critical race theory research um uh that seeks to move a sort of deficit lens around communities or racialized people so this is really um that's the lens that i have certainly embraced um a black feminist lens is another one that i embrace um but i think it's really important to like you said rob consider the fact that there are many lenses multiple Mm. lenses probably as many as there are identities right Mm -hmm. um and therefore what a complex and interwoven relationship we're all in together i'm hoping by visiting big edi questions and you're right jackie it's about the question right it's about those posing of those questions and i'm going to revisit it and make it more questioning it's about those questions i'm hoping that revisiting um revisiting key aspects of EDI, key concerns of EDI. So for example, um, where, where can we celebrate or explore issues of um, anti-homophobia or anti-racism and so on and so forth? Uh, and to explore that through our multiple identity lenses and us together with our individual subject lenses for a collective co-constructed meaningful outcome i think that's great <laughs> i think it sounds great can, can i can i just inter- yeah just um just as you're talking i what struck me when i was doing my ed i um i came at it um I, 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 I do, um, uh, you know, as teachers, we're encouraged to take on extracurricular activities. And one of the things that I've been doing since the year dot is um, music. It's that thing that sort of gives me life, as it were. Um, 
and another EI um, interesting thing because where is that in terms of the EI question? Uh, what does music bring to that? But anyway, here so here I am in the UAE now. Um, uh, we haven't got time. I, I just feel we've just scratched the surface. We've just peeled it back. And uh, um, but anyway, what actually happened for me was I brought into this situation. Um, there was a, a music activity there, and I jumped onto it, and um, and then it introduced this band scenario. So the students were. It was a, a women um, university college, and um, they were they were they came to this playing the guitar, then they evolved into this, this band, this rock band. And, um, uh, and then they got publicity. Um, uh, somebody came along and said, hey, this is great, because they were playing um, um, Smoke on the Water. And, um, and so, they, so, so they, these guys, they, they were put in the newspaper. Anyway, what actually happened was that um, it opened my eyes because, because for the first time, I realised there was a an Islamic perception of music that I didn't have, and I I felt like I woke up in Narnia. Um, one minute I was in my own world, and next minute I was in this other world where there was a totally different approach to music. Uh, which, when I come to when coming back to the UK, um, people. Um, don't also have. They have my experience prior to going to the UAE. And so when I say, well, um, um, traditional uh, Muslims would say that music is not acceptable, there would be this audible silence as their brain tries to comprehend what has just happened and what they just heard. Music is not acceptable. How so? And I went through that same experience. And it was basically, they are wrong. And this is what we're taught. Anything that is outside our Eurocentric experience, we're not taught, oh, why? We're taught it is wrong. They must learn our way because our way is right. You've got the wrong way. There's nothing wrong with music, I said. You guys have got it wrong. And as time approached and through the day, through that journey, I realized that I, this is what I meant, I had come with my Eurocentric teaching and experience. Remember I was saying that's all I was surrounded with. I never had another view that said music, there is a problem with music. The question I should have asked this was, This is fascinating to why? me because I... May have made presumption assumptions based on my own lived experience as a black female in this context that I am used to navigating, navigating, um, and being on the margins, navigating ways of being, ways of knowing, and being on the margins, and that. Yeah, what you're describing about then how that's internalized and then you actually perpetuate it or is that's really and that is what that's a deep point. And that right. is what woke me up. It woke me up and I suddenly realized, hang on a minute, I'm doing exactly to another group of people 
what has been done to me? And then, sorry, okay. And then I had to ask different questions. What, what, why, why is this? It's not why you're wrong, it's why. Why have I got my view and why have you got your view wrong? So I like that analogy of going into Narnia and uh, I also like the analogy of peeling back the film paper on that microwave meal. Unfortunately, we could go on this forever and a day, couldn't we? We whetted the appetite. We've given you the exciting smells and aromas of this beautiful meal, but we're not allowing you to digest that chicken curry. We have to stop now. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for the conversation. Thank you. Until next time, listeners, adieu. Adieu.